it, um, what is RUF, who is this group of people who are here, and RUF is a community of students here at Wake um, seeking to learn how to love God and how to love each other and how to love the world, and um, as a group we're bound by an even greater conviction that God actually loves us, and that he actually loves our neighbor, and he actually loves the world. We believe that, that God has made this clear in the person of Jesus, who is the embodiment of God's love for the world. And we believe that through a relationship with Jesus, um, we have access to God's love and can be changed by it. So everything we do, um, large group, which is this on Tuesday nights, small groups that happen throughout the week, one-on-ones that happen, all of this exists so that um, we together might encounter Jesus. So wherever you are, if you're curious about Christianity and you're here checking it out, or you're cynical um, or skeptical about Christianity, or you're committed, um, we're glad that you're here. We hope that this is a place that you feel that you can bring your questions as you actually have them about um, the Bible and about Christianity, that you can bring those questions um, and that you can find answers that, um, for yourself as you figure out what it is that you believe and why you believe it. Um, and what I'm going to try to do during this time is to open the Bible with us and um, to make sense of some of it, hopefully to help you make sense of what the Bible has to say um, to your lives as you actually live them. Um, and usually what we do during this time is I'll preach through a book of the Bible. This semester we're doing something different. We are doing a series on relationships. Um, because as I speak with you, I hear from you how, um, how so much of your life is bound up in your relationships. Um, so as we're talking through this, um, if you have questions, if there's things that you're wrestling through, um, we would love to get together with you. Myself and Sam, who is playing the banjo, and Ellis, who did the call to worship, we're here for you um, to, to walk through life with you, to help you figure out um, who you are, what it is that you believe. Um, so we're, we're really here for you. Um, so why are we doing a series on relationships? This is something different than we normally do. Two reasons. Um, first, as we talked last week, uh, we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 that as humans we're actually created for relationships. Um, this is hardwired into us as humans. And we live our entire lives in the context of our relationships. Uh, this is because that we're created by a God who is in relationship with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a community. And so he has made us in his image, in the image of a community. Um, which does, means that we were designed, you are designed to live in a community. So that's why we're talking about relationships. And the second reason is because y- y'all grew up in an age and are continuing to grow up, I guess that's what college is, um, in an age that is where there are lots of voices clamoring for your attention, telling you what to believe and what not to believe about relationships and sexuality and marriage and friendship and singleness and sex. And my hope is that through this series, you will have a, clear, a clearer understanding of what it is that the Bible has to say about these things, what it is, that, how the Bible tells the story of our relationships uh, so that you can figure out for yourself what it is that you believe and why you believe it. So last week we talked about being created for relationships, and this week we're going to talk about the reality that our relationships are broken. And I'm going to say that the reason that our relationships are broken, the reason that they are messy, the reason that they're dysfunctional is because of sin. Now this might sound crazy to you, this might sound outdated, um, but here's my challenge to you tonight. As you listen to how the Bible makes sense of the brokenness of your own relationships, I challenge you to come up with a better explanation for why things are the way that they are. Could it be, could it be that the Bible actually makes better sense of your own life 
that you can make of it yourself. So what we're going to do together is we're going to read Genesis 2, 22 through um, chapter 3, verse 15. This is printed on the back of your bulletin. Um, So I'm going to read this for us. This is um, starting in Genesis 2, verse 25. This is God's word for us tonight. And this is completely true and he gives it to us in love. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight, and pray that you would um, help us to make sense of ourselves as we um, hear it, and that we would see you um, in it. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a disclaimer as I start. I said this last week. Everything that I'm saying in this relationships series, I have stolen from someone else. Um, other campus ministers who have gone before me and have taught on this, so it's not original to me. Um, special thanks tonight to Brian Sorgenfry and Justin Clement. Um, I just shamelessly stole all this from them. So, um, Genesis 3, what we just read, tells the story of the fall. Of the, the disintegration of Adam and Eve's relationship with one another and with the relationship with God. And Genesis 3 tells us that our relationships are broken because of sin. And as we look at this passage together, I want us to see four things that happen as a result of sin. Insecurity, covering, blame, selfishness, and finally we're going to look at how God responds to this. So first we're going to talk about insecurity. What we see here is that insecurity is what defines Adam and Eve after they sin. They're taken over by fear. 
Looking at the first three chapters of, of Genesis, we see a deep contrast. Genesis 1 and 2 is the story of creation. God makes all things, and at the pinnacle of his creation, he makes humans, and he declares that it is very good, and he delights in it. And so Genesis, Genesis 2 ends with Adam and Eve married, and their identity and their security is wrapped up in the love of God. God looks at them, and he takes pleasure in them. This is their identity. We see this in the first verse we read, uh, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and were without shame. Just look at the difference between that and verse, chapter 3, verse 10. Where Adam and Eve, when they rebel against God's authority, the result is catastrophic. Adam and Eve go from nakedness and no shame to the exact opposite. This fear because they are naked. Look at verse 10 with me. Adam, who was secure in the love of God, now responds to God. I was afraid because I was naked. This paralyzing fear. They go from security and the delight of God to the paralyzing fear of insecurity. Now why? Why is it that that sin always leads to insecurity? Because sin is when you turn from putting your identity in God and you put it in something else, anything else. And when you do that, your identity becomes insecure. Because everything other than God is impermanent. It just doesn't last. And so your identity becomes insecure and you feel this. And this leads to fear because you know that your identity is impermanent. You live in fear that you will lose that thing that you've rested your identity on. I heard a story of a pastor who was talking to a counselor who worked with students in, um, in an Ivy League school. And he was talking about his students and what he said caught the pastor off guard. He said, the students that I deal with at this Ivy League school have inordinately high depression rates. And the pastor said, why do you think that is? Um, And what he says is he said that most people who go to Ivy Leagues, when they were in high school, they weren't the most athletic. They weren't the most popular, but they were the smartest. They got the best grades. They found their identity in their academics. And then when they get to these schools, that's no longer the case. Because someone needs to make B's and someone needs to make C's. Not everyone can make A's. And what happens here is an identity crisis because their identity, their worth, is wrapped up in how they do in school. And that gets threatened and the result is fear. Because the possibility of losing their identity is real. Because they're no longer the smartest kid in the room. And that loss of identity can lead to their depression. And this is why putting our identity in anything other than God leads to security. Insecurity, always. Because you realize that that thing you're trusting in can be taken away. You realize that thing is unstable. Now bring this into our relationships, specifically into romantic relationships, dating and marriage. Insecurity is toxic to relationships. It is the primary killer of relationships. It absolutely destroys them. Because instead of finding your identity, your security in God, you're looking for it in something impermanent, in another person, or in a relationship. And this leads to fear, the fear of losing it. And this paralyzing fear cripples you. And it suffocates your relationships. Most of our relational problems come from this. Finding your relationship and in, in finding your identity in the relationship that you're in, not in God. The fear of breaking up, the fear of being embarrassed, the fear of pain, the fear of being alone, the fear of exposure, the fear of being perceived as a failure. For most of you and for most of your relationships, what's wrong with your relationship is not that you don't care enough, but that you care too much about your relationships. You have your whole being invested in their permanence. Ask yourself this. In your relationships, what are you afraid of losing? 
I had a fraternity brother in college who I remember this night when this girl broke up with him. And he called her like 15 – this is back when people called each other and they just text all the time. Um, he called her like 15 times this one night. And you can imagine what that did to the girl, right? That did not bring her closer. Um, his insecurity drove her away. It drove her further away. Because when you get 15 missed calls from that guy that you just broke up with, that doesn't communicate love. That communicates, I don't know what to do with myself when you're gone. And it pushes the other person away. And that's what's behind your constant checking up on him. Your constant need to know what it is that she did last night. All the texts, all the social media surveillance, it's fear, right? It's fear of losing him. This is why you're insecure when he wants to hang out with his friends for the weekend and not you. And I want to say this gently to you all. Um, This is why some of you deal with the pain of a breakup by saying to yourself, or maybe some well-meaning Christian said this to you, that just means that God has somebody better for you out there. Um, you try to, what you're doing when you, when you believe that is you're trying to bring yourself through the suffering by holding out that idol again. Finding your identity or your security not in God, but in the possibility of another better person in the future. And God never promised that for you. He promises to be good for you. But that might not mean that you'll get married. But we use the idol of marriage to get us through suffering. And guys, something I want to say firmly and gently to you is this is why some of you don't ask girls out. You have so found your identity in relationships and that fear is winning because you fear rejection above everything else. And you're not willing to ask her out because you don't want to cut off the other possibilities because you fear losing the one, whatever that means. And the only way that you'll ask her out is if you're absolutely convinced that she likes you and will say yes. And that's just insecurity. I mean, I know men in their mid-30s who are still crippled by this fear. And they've missed some amazing women because they were terrified of either her saying no or of her not being the one. Again, I want to say this gently too, that um, some of you are in bad relationships, because, but you're not going to get out of them because you fear being alone. And you say to yourself, you know, I've dated so-and-so for two years. Um, What would happen if we broke up? See, whatever you place your identity in, whatever you place your security in, if it's not permanent, you will always fear losing it. And it will define you. And instead of your relationship being a place of love and freedom, it becomes a place of fear and insecurity. Sin leads to insecurity because we try to find our identity. We try to find our hope in something other than God. And only God is permanent. He is the only thing that can handle all of you. And we see that Adam and Eve are insecure. So they're insecure. In second, in verses 7 and 8, we see that they cover up. They stand before God and they know that they are guilty. They're before God, the holy and righteous one, and he sees them and they hide. They make clothing for themselves. They hide from God. And then verse 10, Adam says, um, because I was naked, I, was, I hid. And one of the biggest themes in this passage is nakedness, which is also the Bible's word for shame. And in their shame, Adam and Eve hide. Dan Allender, who's a counselor, um, says this. He says, the dread of being found out is sufficient to fuel radical denial. But the fear is greater than simply losing a relationship. It is the terror that if our dark soul is discovered, we will never be enjoyed, desired, or pursued by anyone. And it's crippling. (coughs) Excuse me. 
How much relational hurt and dysfunction is due to the fact that you're always hiding? I mean, hiding always destroys relationships because relationships are built on intimacy, on knowing others and being known by them. Knowing the real you, not the PR campaign that you put out, not your mask or your armor, but the real you. There can be no relationship if the real you isn't known. And many of you are hiding from God. You tell yourself or you tell your, you tell your friends maybe, I wish I had faith like yours. Or I wish I was more spiritual. And you say this because you've never met Jesus. You think, you think that Jesus only loves good people. And so what you do is you hide behind niceness. You hide behind your accomplishments. You hide behind being better than those people. And until you're honest about how dark and broken you really are, you will never be thrilled and amazed by Jesus' love. Hiding also creates dysfunction with others. I mean, it's so easy for me to hide from my friends behind a Christian language. So easy to avoid being known. Um, Some of us hide behind Christian activity or busyness. We're scared to stop. We're scared to be known as we are. So we just stay busy so that no one knows us. Um, For some of you, nobody knows that you're addicted to pornography. Nobody knows that you're struggling. Others, nobody knows how exhausted you are. No one knows about your depression or your anxiety. And you tell yourself, you tell yourself, you just need to get through the semester and then you'll be in control again. But the anxiety is eating away at you. It's like that freight train running through your chest and you're scared to be still and you're scared to be known. And say this gently, some of you, um, some of you are hiding behind lies. Um, some of you are hiding behind the image of Christian maturity and you're having sex. And you're, you're hiding behind lies and it's killing you. Your friends don't know what's going on. Um, It's going to destroy your relationship. All of us hide. All of us hide because we're insecure. Because we're trying to find our identity in something that's impermanent. Third, we blame. We blame. Brene Brown, who's a famous TED talker, um, and she's a shame researcher. She has this little video um, about blame. Your mom probably shared it with you, maybe. My mom shared it with me. Um, she tells a story of being in the kitchen one morning. She's wearing white pants, and she drops her coffee cup on the floor, and it breaks into a thousand pieces, and it spills coffee all over her pants. And the first thing out of her mouth, she says in less than a millisecond, was, Damn you, Steve, who's her husband. Um, <laughs> And she laughs about this and then tells the reason why she blamed her husband, who wasn't even there. Um, But then she asks this question. How many of you go to that place where the first thing you do when something goes wrong is that you ask, whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? Adam's response to God's searching questions in verse 11 is almost comical. I mean, look at this. God asks him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man's response is, Eve made me do it. And then God goes to Eve and Eve's response is, the serpent made me do it. Um, It's almost comical. And so this is a good time to answer the question, what was so bad about what Adam and Eve did? Why was their eating the fruit wrong? Well, humans were created by God to be secure in God. To find their identity in the love and delight of their creator. We were created to be known naked without fear and shame. And this security comes from having our identity in the love of God. And instead of living in this love and delight, Adam and Eve chose something else. They listened to a different voice. The voice that said, don't listen to God. He's lying to you. And everything broke. And ever since Adam and Eve, mankind is now wired with 
this delight in doing something for no reason other than the fact that it is wrong. Our loves are broken. Our loves are disordered. We love things simply because they're bad for us. And this story tells us that this is because our first parents looked for their identity. They looked for their security apart from and away from God. Instead of God being their center and their life orbiting around him, they displaced God and put themselves at the center. And this self-centeredness is at the root of all of our dysfunction. And self-centeredness makes us blame shifters, right? Because it's always someone else's fault. You're always blaming someone else's failure or blaming the circumstances. I mean, what do you say to yourself? If only I was better looking, if only I was richer, if only I was smarter. I mean, what would happen if everyone, instead of blaming, took ownership of their own shortcomings? Can you imagine that? Well, what do you do when things are hard in your relationships, in your friendships, or in your dating relationship, or with your parents, or with your siblings? What do you do when things are hard or go wrong or are frustrating? We say things like this. Man, my roommate is really hard to live with. My girlfriend is so selfish. My dad just doesn't get it. My brothers are so difficult to be around. And the thought never crosses our minds that we could be the problem. Right? It's always someone else's fault. Y'all, this is deeply convicting to write. Um, It's always someone else's fault, right? We do this. We just blame other people. Do you have conflict in your life right now? Is there someone that it's hard to be around? Let me ask you this. Have you owned your own stuff in that relationship? Or does all the fault belong to that other person? Right, you might only be 10% of, at fault, but have you owned 100% of your 10%? See, blame is the outworking of our own self-centeredness. And the picture that Genesis 3 paints for us is dark. And it's clear that because of sin, everything, especially our relationships, are deeply broken. And so we're insecure, we hide in our fear, we blame shift, refusing to take responsibility for our part. And all of this is rooted in our self-centeredness. And this manifests itself, our self-centeredness manifests itself when we see a person as either a vehicle or a barrier. So for example, if you need attention from your boyfriend, when he texts you or he spends time with you at a party, he is a vehicle. He is delivering attention to you. He is a vehicle for you to feel good. You feel great. But what if he doesn't give you the attention? What if that guy doesn't talk to you at the party? What if he responds to your texts too, too late? What if he doesn't hang out on the weekend? How do you feel? He's a barrier. You feel disrespected. You feel not important. Now, what if you want respect from your girlfriend? And as long as she respects you, she is a vehicle giving you what you want. How do you feel? You love being around her. But what if she doesn't respect you? What if she gently makes fun of you in front of your friends? She's now a barrier, frustrated, and you want to get rid of her. This explains why there are couples that give the appearance of being so lovey-dovey and all this PDA and you want to puke. And then like three seconds later, World War III breaks out, right? It's this this toxic, unhealthy back and forth. And eventually they break up, but then they get back together. Why? It's because the love, they love the other person when the other person's a vehicle for their selfish needs. And they hate the other person when the person is a barrier to their selfish needs. And as long as we are focused on self-gratification, sexually, emotionally, every relationship is simply an opportunity to use each other. I mean, the fact that Tinder exists proves my point. It's just saying, look, I don't care about you, but I'm just going to use you to ensure that my needs get met. 
And it's clear from this passage, from our own experience, that our relationships are a mess. They're broken. So where is the hope? Look at verse 15 with me. Look out of this with me. God is talking to the serpent, and he says this. He says, I will put enmity, I will put warfare between you and the woman. And here's the promise. There is going to be a descendant that is going to crush Satan in sin and in selfishness. He can crush selfishness. But in the process, he is going to be bruised. And as the story unfolds, we see that Jesus is the one who comes to crush Satan. And it is in, the, in the process, he is crushed. Because on the night before Jesus' death, he was in a garden, just like Adam and Eve. And just like Adam and Eve, he had a choice that he would either submit his life to God or he would rebel. And just like Adam and Eve, he was afraid. But instead of choosing to save his own skin, he gave up his life. Adam and Eve covered themselves. And Jesus instead was willingly uncovered as he hung up to die. Why? Because he was taking the penalty for sinners like you and me. And instead of giving sinners what they truly deserve, God gave Jesus what sinners deserve. He was stripped and crushed so that we would receive life. And receive glory and receive beauty. And it's only his love that has the power to dislodge you as the center of your own universe. The answer to your insecurity, to your hiding, to your fear, to your blaming, ultimately to your self-centeredness is found in Jesus and his work for you. And the seed of this good news is planted here in Genesis 3. Because when God saw Adam and Eve hiding, he didn't destroy them. He didn't run away. He didn't crush them. No, he moved towards them, and he made this promise, and he's kept that promise for you in Jesus. One of our favorite bedtime books as a family is this, um, this little board book called The Runaway Bunny. Maybe you read it as a child, um, and it tells the story of this little bunny who keeps running away from his mom, and she keeps chasing after him. And first he says that he'll become a fish and swim away, and his mother says, well, then I'll become a fisherman, and I'll catch you. And then the little bunny says, well, then I will become a rock on a mountain. And the mother says, I'll become a rock climber and I'll reach you. And then the little bunny says, well, then I'll become a crocus, a crocus in a hidden garden. And the mother says, I'll become a gardener and I'll tend to you. Well, I'll become a bird and I'll fly away. The mother says, well, then I'll become a tree and you will land on me. And he says, well, then I'll be a sailboat and I'll sail away. And the mother says, well, then I'll become the wind and I'll blow you home. And then the little bunny says, I'll become a circus acrobat. A t- and the mother says, I'll become a tightrope walker, and I'll walk to you. And finally, the bunny says, well, I'll become a little boy, and I'll run into a house. And the mother bunny says, I will become your mother, and I will catch you in my arms and hug you. And this is what God has done for you in Jesus. That in being born into this world, taking on humanity, God is saying as loudly as he possibly can, wherever you run to, I will come and I will find you because I love you. And Jesus went so far to the cross to take your sin and the punishment it deserves onto himself. And in the place of your sin, giving you his righteousness so that nothing could keep you from the love of of your father. And by faith, he has given you his spirit so that you can walk into your relationship secure, knowing the delight of your father in heaven. Having your identity being rooted in his love and his care for you. Being known, not hiding in fear but reveling in the knowledge that Jesus knows you and is delighted in you. And he frees you from the blame game. Jesus makes it safe to admit that you are wrong. And finally, Jesus, having restored and heals us, 
He frees us from our self-centeredness and gives us a mission. The relationships are no longer about you. They are about advancing God's kingdom, extending his love into the world. Because when we are secure in his love, he uses us to make his love known to the world. 